from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The North Korean nuclear program is more advanced and more dangerous than ever. They now fire missiles over Japanese airspace. They now have ICBM capabilities. They now claim to have tested a hydrogen bomb. And in the shadow of all of that firepower are 25 million people. The distance from uh, the demilitarized zone to downtown Seoul is about the distance from Dulles Airport to downtown Washington. UN Ambassador Nikki Haley is fed up. We have kicked the can down the road long enough. There is no more road left. But at the end of that road is a question. Who controls North Korea's nukes? I'm sure that Kim Jong-un thinks that he has control. But Dr. James Turner, former director of the Department of Energy's Office of Nuclear Weapons Surety, who's been to North Korea, says the reality may be something else. Whether it would be possible for one of their generals to say, the heck with it, and then just launch something on his own. The threat, the options, and the fallout. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On Tuesday, September 5th, Han Taesong, North Korea's ambassador to the United Nations in Geneva, tried to poke his finger in the eye of the U.S. I'm proud of saying that just two days ago, on 3rd of September, DPRK successfully carried out the hydrobomb hydrogen bomb test for intercontinental ballistic rocket and its plan for building a strategic nuclear force. The test is part of a normal activities according to policy line of the Workers' Party of Korea to simultaneously push forward economic construction and building of nuclear force. The recent self-defensive measures by my country DPRK a gift package addressed to none other than the U.S. The U.S. will receive more gift packages from my country as long as it relies on reckless provocations and fertile attempts to put, to put pressure on the DPRK. My delegation also take this opportunity to once again reject categorically the sanction resolutions adopted by the UN Security Council, which has now reduced to political tool serving for this people US hostile policy towards my country DPRK. Pressure or sanction will never work on my country. North Korea has made it abundantly clear it has no plans to stop its nuclear weapons and missile programs But the U.S. appears dead set on crippling sanctions. Russian President Vladimir Putin, who runs a country with a permanent seat on the U.N. Security Council, has, along with China, balked at any new sanctions. 
in an attempt to persuade the U.N. Security Council to issue stiff sanctions against North Korea. U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley said it's time to use everything they have in their arsenal to punish North Korea for breaking international law. Despite our efforts over the past 24 years, the North Korean nuclear program is more advanced and more dangerous than ever. They now fire missiles over Japanese airspace. They now have ICBM capabilities. They now claim to have tested a hydrogen bomb. And just this morning, there are reports that the regime is preparing for yet another ICBM launch. To the members of the Security Council, I must say, enough is enough. We have taken an incremental approach, and despite the best of intentions, it has not worked. Members of this council will no doubt urge negotiations and a return to talks. But as I've just outlined, we have engaged in numerous direct and multilateral talks with the North Korean regime, and time after time, they have not worked. The time for half measures in the Security Council is over. The time has come to exhaust all of our diplomatic means before it's too late. We must now adopt the strongest possible measures. Kim Jong-un's action cannot be seen as defensive. He wants to be acknowledged as a nuclear power. But being a nuclear power is not about using those terrible weapons to threaten others. Nuclear powers understand their responsibilities. Kim Jong-un shows no such understanding. His abusive use of missiles and his nuclear threats show that he is begging for war. War is never something the United States wants. We don't want it now. But our country's patience is not unlimited. We will defend our allies and our territory. The idea that some have suggested a so-called freeze for freeze is insulting. When a rogue regime has a nuclear weapon and an ICBM pointed at you, you do not take steps to lower your guard. No one would do that. We certainly won't. The time has come to exhaust all diplomatic means to end this crisis. And that means quickly enacting the strongest possible measures here in the UN Security Council. Only the strongest sanctions will enable us to resolve this problem through diplomacy. We have kicked the can down the road long enough. There is no more road left. This crisis goes well beyond the UN. The United States will look at every country that does business with North Korea as a country and the United States will look at every country that does business with North Korea as a country that is giving aid to their reckless and dangerous nuclear intentions. And what we do on North Korea will have a real impact on how other outlaw nations who seek nuclear weapons choose to conduct themselves in the future. The stakes could not be higher. The urgency is now. 24 years of half measures and failed talks is enough. Thank you. That was U.S. U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley speaking to the Security Council on Tuesday, September 5th, after North Korea thumbed its nose at the U.S. and promised more of the same. So if talking, which, as Haley said, has failed for 24 years, then what options does the U.S. and does the U.N. have? For some insight, we listened in to a conversation on WTOP Radio in Washington, D.C., where former Secretary of Defense William Cohen 
spoke with the midday host, Deborah Feinstein and Bruce Allen. Mr. Secretary, welcome back. We appreciate you being here. Well, it's good to be with you. So we had uh, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, uh, yesterday telling the U.N. Security Council that the North Korean leader is begging for war. I guess we'd like to know what your assessment is of the situation right now, and what should the U.S. be doing, perhaps, that it's not? Well, I don't know that the North Koreans are begging for war. I think they believe or are convinced that the United States would never go to war with them because of the hostages they're holding uh, in South Korea under the uh, their artillery barrage, potentially, and also their uh, current weaponry. So I think they do not believe we are serious about using a military option, and that's one of the reasons they continue to basically uh, uh, ignore uh, the U.N. sanctions, ignore the United States, uh, and to an, to an extent, ignore China itself. So I think they, uh, their goal is to uh, intimidate South Korea, to eventually unite South Korea uh, with them under their control. Uh, that's their ultimate goal. And so uh, they're not begging for war. I think that they, they are, have concluded we would not go to war. So what can we do short of going to war? And in my own judgment, we have uh, been engaged in what I call incrementalism. We've been imposing sanctions, a few here and a few there. Uh, they haven't been always abided by, by certainly the Chinese and the Russians. And so the economy of North Korea actually is improving, notwithstanding the sanctions, because those sanctions haven't been strictly enforced. So I think we really have to crack down and start going after the financial uh, banking system, uh, the uh, intermedi- intermediary financial uh, system uh, that can cut off the supply of uh, certainly U.S. dollars going in and out of, of, the, of the region. I, I would uh, start an information campaign uh, and start to discredit uh, Kim Jong-un uh, in the eyes of his uh, fellow uh, North Koreans. That'll be hard, but it needs to be done. Uh, I would... Uh, Uh, send all the new uh, North Korean workers who are in various countries home. That's not a big uh, impact upon the North Korean economy, but I would shut down any source of revenue that they have so they can't continue to enjoy both having weapons and also having butter, so to speak, guns and butter. Mm -hmm. They've been given the butter by the Chinese and the Russians. They've been building the weapons on their own. That's a policy that can't be allowed to continue. So I think there are a number of things we can do short of that, I would, uh, short of war. I would also uh, accelerate the deployment of the THAAD system, not only in South Korea, but also in Japan. Uh, because Japan is at risk, as we've seen, with North Korea firing missiles over its territory. And it could be launching one at them, and they have limited defenses at this point. They need to have a ground-based Aegis uh, defense system, and I'd put a THAAD system in there as well. So a number of things we can do. And then finally, we have to get by the next three or four weeks where the Chinese uh, leader is consumed uh, with a plenary session that he has uh, uh, coming up. And then we have to go to uh, Xi Jinping and say, let's sit down and talk about how we both see the Korean Peninsula in the next 20 years. How do we want to see this end? What is the end result we want to see? And then I think we can have a serious talk about our relationship with the Chinese, because this bilateral relationship is very important to both of us. And it has a chance of coming really uh, complicated, if not problematic, in the event that we don't find a way to resolve the Korean situation peacefully. Could you ever envision a scenario where the U.S. would be backed into a corner enough to launch a preemptive strike? Uh, that would be a last resort. 
certainly, uh, I, I think the consequences that we've always worried about, the reason that we haven't taken the military action in the past is you've got uh, 25 million people within a, a, a radius of uh, Seoul uh, that are at risk, not, not to mention we've got 28,000 of our soldiers there and about 100,000 Americans there. So uh, we run a risk. It may be one we ultimately have to take, but I would say that is a last resort. North Korea says it will never give up its nuclear weapons or its missile program. The U.S. is looking for a way to force them to do it. In the meantime, there's talk of a preemptive strike. But after a short break, when we come back, we'll hear from a man who's been to North Korea and knows quite a bit about their nuclear arsenal. We know that they have road mobile launchers for their missiles. Mm -hmm. And so, which, which makes a preemptive strike you know, how, how do you know you've gotten everything? Coming up when we return to Target USA. The National Security Podcast. This is Target USA. Before the break, we heard North Korea tell the U.S. that more gift packages, like the nuclear test and the rockets that they've been testing, are in the works. We heard U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley say, enough is enough. And former Secretary of Defense William Cohen said, We've been engaged in incrementalism, but we need to go full measure now in dealing with North Korea, and that includes a lot of things. But does it include a preemptive strike? We put that question to Dr. James Turner, who listened to Cohen's comments here in the studio. Turner was the director of the Department of Energy's Office of Nuclear Weapons Surety, and he's been to North Korea and seen for himself the expanse of the situation. Dr. Turner, you were in North Korea in the in the mid-90s, but you went back again later, correct? I did have a subsequent uh, trip uh, uh, several years, uh, I guess in the early 2000s, up to the demilitarized zone. And uh, that was a, a really a revelation to me to realize how close Seoul was to the demilitarized zone. Uh, just to put it in context, particularly for people in the Washington, D.C. area, the distance from uh, the demilitarized zone to downtown Seoul is about the distance from uh, Dulles Airport to downtown Washington. And so it's well within the range of, of North Korean artillery. And so, uh, again, it just, you know, Seoul is definitely at risk, uh, if anything broke out, from, you know, just the artillery that's amassed along the border. Do you get the sense, Dr. Turner, that the U.S. would launch a preemptive strike? Well, I, I cer certainly hope not, uh, because, uh, uh, I, and I'm not sure how we would go about doing it. And I, again, and I please let me make clear, I have no access to, I, I've not had any access to, to classified information since I left the government in 2013. So I'm just speaking as a, sure. as a citizen who's tried to to follow the situation. But I think uh, one thing, you know, we know that they have road mobile launchers for their missiles. Mm -hmm. And so, which which makes the preemptive strike, you know, how do you know you've gotten everything? Mm -hmm. uh, also, too, I imagine that some of their command and control facilities are probably hardened. And so, again, you know, you know it's not obvious that these things would be taken out. Uh, and so, and also, too, uh, I, I did read a report about a month ago. Uh, it's either in the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post. I can't remember which. But uh, I do recall a report saying that, that China had put uh, the North Koreans on notice that 
if they struck first, if the North Koreans struck first, they would be on their own. What do you think that means? I think that's I think, quite frankly, that's probably the biggest deterrent that we have, that uh, they could not rely on China to help them. If, if, in fact, that report is correct and the Chinese did, in fact, adhere to, to that, if it was correct. Do you get the sense, though, that if the U.S. struck North Korea first, that China would help North Korea? It, I'm not sure, uh, because it, it puts everybody in a bad position. And, and two, you know, it's, it's not purely a U.S. decision, because clearly Japan is at risk, our, South Korea is at risk, we have, have pers- you know, uh, civilian and military personnel in North Korea who would be at risk. And so, uh, I mean, it, it, it just, I mean, there's just a lot, it, there's a lot more to consider there than, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, going after a, uh, uh, you know, a, a mm-hmm. strike that would go, for example, after Saddam Hussein or mm-hmm. Gaddafi or some of these other folks that we've dealt with in the past. And mm-hmm. so there are a lot of other complicating factors in this whole situation. So you had some very specific and direct interaction with the North Koreans during that time frame. Tell us what you did when this happened and how it went down. Okay, so there were two two levels of interactions I had. One, uh, it was my staff uh, that went to the nuclear site to provide federal oversight for the operations there. Uh, and they would rotate in and out over a period of several years. They would rotate out three or four weeks at a time. Uh, and the secondly... One of the things that uh, the U.S. agreed to do uh, as part of the agreed framework was that uh, because the research reactor provided heat and electricity, we uh, would, through uh, uh, another mechanism, would provide uh, heavy fuel oil to them uh, that would replace, that would again allow them to continue to generate heat and mm-hmm. electricity. And one of those, uh, we were concerned that it did go, that the fuel oil did go to civilian purposes. And uh, one of the uh, early shipments uh, was uh, 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 sent to a, a place that had not been declared to us. And so uh, because, again, we wanted to make sure mm-hmm. that the fuel was going to the proper purpose, uh, we wanted to uh, put uh, flow meters mm-hmm. on the boilers of the plant where the, where the fuel was, was supposed to be used so we could monitor consumption versus uh, deliveries. And what was your impression during the time that you spent there overall about the situation and conditions in North Korea and the government, which at that time, I believe, was under the leadership of Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-un's father? Yes. Uh, yes, it was. And, uh, well, first of all, the, the conditions were pretty pretty stark and pretty dire. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, you, you and particularly outside of Pyongyang, uh, we, uh, uh, Son Bong is in the far northeast corner of North Korea where China, Russia, and North Korea come together. Uh, but, uh, the, the people where they had just gone through a, a pretty severe famine, uh, and it looked like, uh, again, food was still pretty scarce. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a pretty dire circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, also too, it was clear that, uh, uh, the regime uh, was was pretty oppressive, uh, but uh, you know, we, we, while we were there, uh, you know, we certainly respected the fact that uh, you know uh, we were in their territory and had to abide by their rules. 
but we also realized, you know, we also kept focused on the mission that we had in hand. And so, uh, again, we were able to to get these flow meters uh, put in, and uh, after a little bit of back and forth, things you know went smoothly, and uh, so we were able. But uh, but again, all that came to a screeching halt in the early two thousands. Uh, there were some concerns about possible cheating on the uh, North Korean side, and things mm-hmm. just stopped. So it was in Songbong that the flow meters were being installed, yes. essentially, so that you could better monitor the situation with the heavy fuel oil that was being sent there so that it could be used to... For civilian purposes. Yeah, help people who needed heat in their homes. Um, and I, hear, I heard you say as well that um, th- there was some back and forth. And if I understand correctly what you're saying, uh, contrast against what I've heard others say compared to what I've heard others say, that was sort of the par for the course for dealing with the North Koreans. They had what they wanted done, and, of course, you had your orders too. Is that, that right? Yes, and there was some, there was some back and forth, and, and some of that you know, was to be expected uh, uh, in in doing some of the work that mm-hmm. uh, you know we had done in Russia, mm-hmm. uh, for example, I think you know we we were at least that I felt I was you know prepared for some of that and uh, uh, but again I think the the main thing was to uh, uh, just bear in mind just keep focused on the mission that we had mm-hmm. and get it done and not get uh, you know taken off on a distraction or to do something that. Uh, you know, may throw a monkey wrench into the whole uh, uh, situation. Yeah. So now, Dr. Turner, again, you've spent time in North Korea, and I want to know if you believe, based on what you know now, and you've made it clear you're not privy to any classified information or anything now of that nature, but I want to know if you feel, based on what you know uh, from open sources and other sources you may have, um, how if North Korea has changed much since the time you were there years ago. Yeah, it, it does seem to have changed uh, significantly in, in, in for, as far as its economics are concerned, for example. Uh, it, it was that everything belonged to the state. And now that now the situation is, you know, if people meet their quotas, then anything over and above that, uh, they can sell on their own. And so that's one of the things that's helped them to overcome their food shortage problem. Uh, also, uh, there's been, you know, I think there's some cell phone uh, usages tightly monitored, but the, you know, into North Korea, as well as some uh, things exchanging things like DVDs and CDs and things like that from South Korea. Although there's some very strict uh, surveillance of those by the North. I mean, for example, I've seen uh, reports uh, in some of the literature where, again, they would raid in a, a, a a, you know, a large uh, high-rise apartment building, the police would. And uh, the first thing they would do would be to cut off the electricity to the apartment, the whole apartment complex. And then they would go apartment by comp- apartment. And so if people were listening to or or watching a uh, forbidden uh, DVD or CD, because the, the whole pa- all the power was shut off, they had no opportunity to take it out of the player. And so... Uh, you know, and also too, I mean, uh, uh, there are some uh, perhaps similarities with the Soviet Union uh, because one of the things, you know, at, at first when you when the Cold War ended, you know, a lot of people were, myself included, were surprised at how fast it fell apart. But then after going there several times, you know, the thing that you, you sort of turn that question is, how could this place survive for all those years? 
you know, and it was just fear and intimidation. And you have the same thing uh, going on in North Korea, mm-hmm. fear and intimidation, where children are encouraged to turn their parents in. Uh, it's very difficult for uh, you know a, a group of people to plan anything because you you can't tell who, you know who's the, you know, who would be the person to to uh, inform, be the informant. And so uh, it's 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 a very difficult situation. I've been told that Kim Jong Il, uh, as difficult as he was, actually was you know a person who whom you could negotiate with person whom you could deal with but Kim Jong-un is not that person he's not his father um, based on what I've heard uh, based on what I've seen Uh, and you know all indications suggest that he is on a mission and won't be deterred under any circumstances before reaching that mission is that do you get that same sense well I think all of them I think one thing they all have in common uh, is uh, that they want to survive he wants the regime to survive. And I think, too, he looks at history. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, we, we do have a couple of data points. And, uh, uh, and I think... Uh, You're talking about Iraq and Libya? Yeah. Uh, in the situation in Iraq, Saddam Hussein was suspected of having nuclear weapons. He was deposed and eventually killed. Yes. Uh, and uh, in Libya, Muammar Gaddafi turned over what he had supposedly to the authorities uh, trying to come clean and things didn't turn out well for him either. Right. And so this, you know, cast a, a shadow mm-hmm. over uh, sort of, you know, people remember these things. And uh, and so I think, uh, you know, we need to, you know, in a negotiation, you've got to see the situation from the other person's eyes also. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we can't uh, uh, just, you know, slough those things off. But on the other hand, I mean, I think, uh, I think Kim's highest priority is is, is to hit, for him to survive, and for, you know, and, and so. But I think too. I mean, publicly he stated that you know he he wants to have a deterrent uh, to the United States as well as improving the economy, and so uh, mm-hmm. you know let's let, let's see where that goes. But uh, but I think uh, I think his main thing is he he wants to survive. Yeah. What do you think the options are for the U.S. and for the West? I think, uh, quite frankly, uh, uh, I think everybody is sort of painted into a corner. Uh, I think for the U.S., uh, you know, we need to, I I think, first of all, we we need to uh, engage in some some quiet diplomacy uh, because I think there's some, you know, uh, I think if we turn the volume down, I think that would help everybody. Uh, I think also, uh, you know, we've got to take a, a different approach to China. Uh, you know, we have, have been trying to lean on them for 20 years and it's not worked. And so, you know, uh, I, I, you know, it, so something has to change in that regard. And I think also too, we have to look at, you know, the world as China sees it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, uh, if Kim Jong Un is is deposed, if Korea is united, re, is, re, is reunified uh, under, for example, a South Korean-based leadership, uh, then they would have uh, a situation where they would, on their border, uh, have a U.S. ally, and 
and again, that poses problems for, for them. And, uh, uh, and so, uh, and also too, they don't want to, uh, have instability, uh, where they they don't want to have refugees pouring across their border. Uh, cause I, I remember there was a, a time during the, uh, back in the nineties, uh, during the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in the early two thousands, uh, back during the Iraq war that, uh, uh, they had more, the, the, there were more, uh, people's army, uh, uh, troops on the border with North Korea to stop refugees coming across than there were U S troops in Iraq at the time. I mean, they had you know, a couple hundred thousand troops on the border to stop, uh, mm-hmm. people coming across the border to raid Chinese border towns, to get food and clothing. Uh, and so I, th- I think they don't want uh, an unstable situation where you would have a, a refugee problem going on. Uh, I think too, South, South Korea is in a bit of a quandary because I think they all need, they, you know, they also do not want to have a refugee problem. Uh, and also too, the, the tremendous cost. I mean, they look very carefully at what it costs to reunify Germany. Mm-hmm. And certainly the cost of reunifying Korea would be substantially more than that. Uh, mm-hmm. and so, uh, so I think, you know, everybody is, 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 you know, everybody has a bad hand and we're trying <laughs> to, uh, to figure out how to, you know, how to make this work. But I think the, the first thing is to, to try to at least stabilize or, or to get some sort of equilibrium at first and then talk about, okay, what, you know, what's, what's on the, t- you know, what are our objectives? And how can we achieve them? And uh, and clearly, you know, uh, berating North Korea isn't going to do it. Berating China isn't going to do it. And so we need to to plot a different course. And certainly, some of that that will involve some risk on our part. Mm-hmm. And finally, one of the big concerns for the U.S. and for the West and everybody around North Korea is the possibility that one of the missiles uh, or one of the nuclear tests could go wrong. An accident could be a problem. But in talking to you, before we started the show, you suggested there's another scenario as well that you're concerned about. Let me expand on what you said. There's a second consideration, too, and that is control. We don't know, or let me put it this way, I don't know what sort of controls are on those nuclear weapons in Korea. I'm sure that Kim Jong-un thinks that he has control, but whether that is real or whether it would be possible for one of their generals uh, to say the heck with it, uh, and then just launch something on on his own. I again, I, I think you know the accident scenario is certainly one to be concerned about, but I think also the control scenario, or you know perhaps lack of a control scenario, is also one that that I think needs to be looked at because again, we, you know at least I don't know what sort of controls they have over a launch. That is indeed a very chilling thought. Something that I hadn't thought about. And I'm not hearing anything about that possibility, but as you mentioned, it is a very distinct possibility. Kim Jong-un is not in control of the nukes. Somebody else might be. We've been talking today with Dr. James Turner, former director of the Office of Nuclear Weapons Surety at the Department of Energy and as manager of the Oakland Operations Office Uh, for the Department of Energy, which put him in direct contact and directly on the ground in North Korea with significant knowledge about what was going on at the time in North Korea. 
Dr. Turner, we thank you for stopping by to talk to us. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. That's it for this episode. Coming up on our next program, whether it's terrorism, anarchists, cyber criminals, nation states, intelligence, or the U.S.'s own counterintelligence drama that's playing out in the Congress. Join us on Target USA for the latest. Thank you for checking in with us. Follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. You can also let me know what you think at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at WTOP.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, everybody. The new Podcast One app is here. There's no other podcast app like this one. Download it in the App Store or on Google Play. You can find out everything about your favorite shows. You can get more content for Target USA. You can find articles, social media, episodes. You can make playlists. There's so much you can do. It's easy to comment and connect with other show fans because we have our own little community there. You can share your favorite content and see behind-the-scenes photos, get 360 video, or watch a bunch of shows in virtual reality. There's over a 1,000 videos on there right now. It's like you're in the studio. Really cool. So many things you can do, including fun things like rewards for listening and much, much more. So if you don't do anything else today, remember to download the Podcast One app. Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. Or go to podcastone.com slash mysurvey. It only takes a few minutes, and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash mysurvey. Or click on the survey banner on podcast now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press. A financial plan isn't just about money. It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.